It's summertime in the Indiana State House. But do you think the living is easy out there? Not as it turns out for legislators involved in interim study committees. And there is a bunch of them. Some of those committees are tackling issues that promise to be hot topics on the legislative agenda very soon. We are talking about legislative study committees today on our Indiana In-Depth podcast, a public affairs program brought to you by CNHI News that will explore, discuss, and debate the issues that matter most to the Hoosier State. Hello again, everybody. I'm Max Jones, editor of the Tribune Star in Terre Haute, and I'm your host for today's discussion. I want to take this opportunity today to introduce to you my guest, Scott Miley, who you'll get to know very well on this podcast in coming weeks and months. Scott is CNHI News Indiana Statehouse reporter and our resident expert on state public policy issues. Welcome, Scott. Thanks for joining us. Sure, Max. Glad to be here. Now, Scott, before we get going on our topic of the day, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure, yeah. I've been a uh, newspaper reporter and editor for probably more than 30 years. Uh, I spent 22 years at the Indianapolis Star, and then I've spent the last 10 years with CNHI, uh, mostly working in Anderson and then assigned to the State House uh, back in April. So how's it been going there so far? It's It, it was hectic. I joined uh, I joined it mid-session for the uh, uh, General Assembly and had to get uh, get right up on speed for that one. But um, uh, I think we got, got it covered pretty well for our papers. Well, it's good to have you, uh, Scott, and welcome, and thanks for taking part in our podcast. So this Legislative Council met in late May uh, to assign interim study uh, topics for lawmakers. Uh, walk us through this process. Sure. The um, um, Legislative Council is a body of um, uh, members of the General Assembly, both in the House and the Senate, and they're led by President Pro Tem David Long. They uh, uh, assign the study committees, and these committees are developed um, usually after, oh, a session, and they run into some issues that they want to, want resolved or they want to answer it on a state statewide basis. So there's a, a good number of them, maybe more than 20, that are going to meet this uh, this summer in uh, a number of sessions. They all but a few have reports that are due then to the General Assembly by um, November. That gives uh, the uh, Legislative Council enough time to, or Legislative Services Agency, enough time to write bills uh, to uh, present to the General Assembly in, when it reconvenes in, uh, in January. Are all lawmakers involved in this process at some point? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the committees uh, are, can often be rather large, uh, around 15 members. Uh, there's some lay members also serving on some committees, too, um, which is how it was set up by, the, uh, by uh, Long and the Legislative Council. Well, you mentioned uh, uh, Senate President Pro Tem David Long. Uh, he's a Fort Wayne Republican, and uh, when I was doing my research on uh, the study committees, I, I I happened on his explanation of what these things are all about, and I note uh, I note that uh, he talked about how important part of the legislative process in Indiana these committees are, and and here's what he had to say about it: uh, these committees allow legislators to examine issues on a deeper level than we may otherwise have the ability to do under the time constraints of the legislative session. They also provide an important forum for gathering input from members of the public and other stakeholders. 
So I know you've been studying the lineup uh, for these interim study committees, uh, Scott. Uh, so tell me what you found and what we can expect from this process. There are some pretty big topics on the list this summer, am I right? There are some big topics, um, and uh, uh, the big ones developed out of the uh, last General Assembly. Um, the Just to, to mention a few, there's going to be a committee on agriculture. They'll look, at, they'll look at the confined animal feeding operations, which are becoming more wide, widespread. There's, there's numbers of the thousands of them in, in, in Indiana, but uh, the legislature wants to look at the, what they're called CAFOs in relation to uh, suburban and urban areas um, because they're growing and getting into those. This has been a recurrent problem, a big issue that uh, almost every session they it, deal with. It has for more than a decade. The CAFOs have, have been discussed. Um, the one, one of them that just came up um, essentially out of, uh, out of a, a caramel issue was uh, they're going to have a committee on commerce and economic development. We'll look at short-term rentals uh, and whether cities uh, should determine restrictions on rentals. This is like your uh, Airbnb, where uh, people will uh, come in and rent something for a short time. Neighbors may not like that, but um, this may address whether residents have the right to determine if they can rent rent their homes or not. That's going to bring the lobbyists out hot and heavy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that will. Um, the um, uh, There's a committee on corrections, and it's going to look at jail overcrowding, which is long overdue. Big topic. Yeah. The uh, uh, Indiana Sheriff's Association is trying to get all of its sheriffs to uh, uh, survey their own jails and determine why uh, felons or inmates are, are in the jails um, because the overcrowding is just there are some spots that are more than 100 110 percent full um, and also looking at whether regional jails could be established for some of the smaller counties you had a big story about that here a few weeks ago yeah yeah the sheriff uh, talked with the sheriff's association and um, they're they're pretty interested in very in, active in finding out what uh, what's causing all this um, a, a not a smaller issue, but one that I think is interesting, too, is the Committee on Education will be looking at um, what's become a national issue, and that is whether an undocumented student who's been brought to the United States as a minor, this is often referred to as the Dreamer Bill, um, should pay a, the same tuition at a state college as other, as other uh, students. And that's, I think that's going to be interesting. It sure will. Um, In this day and age, it's very hot. And, of course, they'll look at the uh, 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 public water supplies and making sure that lead removal is, uh, is maintained, and that's an environmental affairs uh, committee. But, uh, but the big one, the big one that— uh, I know where you're going with yeah, this now, Scott. This is the one I think all journalists are interested in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that is the alcohol code revisions. Uh, this was uh, uh, a direct result of a bill that passed uh, and was signed by the governor to <laughs> that essentially is aimed at uh, Ricker's convenience stores that uh, which obtained two restaurant permits. They refitted two stores, uh, one in Columbus and one in Sheridan, this past year so that they could serve cold beer. It's a, it was a legal 
I wouldn't even call it a loophole, but it was uh, it was legal for them to get these permits. And, but many people in the uh, leaders in the legislature took offense that they uh, they kept calling it a loophole. But uh, so they've passed a bill that pretty much prohibits Rickers from renewing those licenses. Um, they set specific dates um, for a convenience store that obtained the license, and so Rickers, as of right now, cannot renew its licenses. There were some other issues in that bill, too, uh, one that dealt with um, family uh, wineries and uh, some definitions that they changed. But it all led to the, to the, the point that the alcohol laws are just out of control. They, well, that's uh, the big picture issue. Yeah. Uh, it pointed out just how crazy Indiana's alcohol laws uh, are compared to really every other state. So this interim uh, uh, study committee is a two-year committee comprised of 17 members. Uh, nine of them are, well, eight are current legislators, and one is a former legislator who will chair the committee. They'll be uh, studying for two years. This first uh, year, this summer, they'll look at retail sales and the uh, laws regarding that. Uh, they are to have a report to the General Assembly by November 1st um, with some recommendations on possibly changing uh, the retail permits. Well, now, explain further to me, Scott. Uh, it's a two-year process. Uh, does that mean that there still could be possibility of uh, new laws recommended for this coming session, or will nothing on this topic happen until after the two years expire? No, with the report that's due in November, I think they're going to look at maybe adjusting some definitions for retail sales. So it could happen that soon? Mm -hmm. Yes. What do you think will happen at these hearings? I think we'll hear a lot of lobbyists, and we're going to hear back and forth as we have for years, um, with particularly between, uh, uh, let's say, convenience stores um, versus packaged liquor stores versus restaurants versus uh, uh, wineries, breweries. Right now, the way that the laws are set up, they're, they're, they're intended to separate all these um, uh, permit holders. So... I think they're going to try and narrow it down so it's not as diverse as, as it is now. Is your sense uh, sense of this issue that there we're, we're reaching a point in the legislature where there's going to be greater willingness to finally deal uh, with some of these longstanding issues? I think so. I, th I think on one end, I think they want to avoid what they called the loophole, the legal loophole that Rickers found. But... It, in the way the laws are set up, he found him. Um, Jay Ricker found it and uh, and um, got his license legally. Um, I don't know as far. I mean, when it gets right down to it, you've also got to look at who has been supporting the legislators and the liquor lobby is extremely strong in uh, in those in those areas. In fact, we hope to have a. Um, a uh, story coming out before this committee begins on August 22nd to ex coming right up. Yeah, to explain some of that. Now, are these hearings open to the public? Yes, they're open to the public, and they uh, can be viewed online too through the uh, Indiana General Assembly. 
So uh, if somebody actually wanted to attend, uh, do you have to come early, take a number, or will that be held in a room that's large enough to handle everybody who might be interested? They're going to hold them in the uh, um, Senate or the House chambers. So that'll be, that'll be large, but um, it's going to be packed. Well, that's a recognition of just how big the issue is and how, how they are willing to let everybody have a chance to, to hear it out. Uh, probably also uh, be a little better on the live stream, too, uh, uh, rather than some of the small rooms uh, that are tucked away in the, in the state house. Yeah, and for this, this committee, there were some specific uh, limitations on who can serve on, uh, on it. Uh, what, there has to be uh, a judge uh, appointed, and there has been one. There has to be uh, someone who served on the excise police, and that's been appointed to um, as someone very familiar with the Alcohol and Tobacco Commission, uh, which monitors all the permits. But none of them, none of the members of the 17 can hold a liquor permit. Also, there no lobbyist can serve on this committee. So it was very specific, and that's unusual for this, for this interim. So maybe they're serious about it. Let's time. hope so. So you've got a story coming up that everybody want to watch for uh, that concerns some of the money that goes into the lobbying efforts. Yes, and, and I'm hoping that we'll run that the weekend before. Excellent. The committee. Okay. That's great. We'll be looking for that, Scott. So, um, boy, there's other there's other issues. What are some of the others that are going to get some attention? The uh, one that one that's kind of growing uh, in in interest and. It's not a, a result of, you know, Marsh closing down and declaring bankruptcy. But the uh, Committee on Government will be studying food deserts in Indiana. Uh, to Interesting concept. Yeah, to identify what areas in Indiana are underserved by markets and groceries. These are groceries we're talking about. Right. Yes. And then they're going to look at how other states have addressed this, this problem um, and see if they can uh, uh, resolve it. Good. Uh, that will be a very fascinating issues. I, th I think a lot of people would be interested in, especially in the in the wake of the uh, consolidation and closing down of some of the major markets in, in some major and smaller cities. And uh, well, just one other while I'm, I'm thinking about it. There's a committee on public health, and they'll be looking at uh, a shortage of health care providers across Indiana and where those uh, those are. One of the other items it'll look at is uh, benchmarks to reduce diabetes in Indiana. And with that growing as it is, um, they want to find ways to improve diabetes care and um, controlling any complications with that. So you're going to be keeping an eye on some of the uh, big topics uh, this summer, uh, for at least when you get the opportunity? This will be busy. This is going to be a busy uh, uh, interim, uh, busy summer uh, this is the time of year when all the reporters go back and look at their notes from the last session and uh, try and do all their homework so that they're ready for the uh, committee meetings. Well, I'd like to point out that uh, you can find out a lot more about these committees and the various assignments uh, by going to this podcast link uh, on tribstar.com or any other CNHI Indiana newspaper website. We've got a couple links for you that will go to uh, state government uh, uh, sites that will give you a lot more information on uh, on these matters. We've been talking to CNHI News Indiana State Reporter Scott Miley, and I'm happy to say that Scott will be a regular guest on future Indiana In-Depth podcasts. Thanks for being with us, Scott. We'll talk to you again real soon. Sure.
Finally today, I want to introduce you to what will be a regular segment on our podcast. We're calling it Historical Marker and will feature CNHI News Indiana reporters and editors sharing fascinating historical tidbits from one of our Indiana communities. Today's inaugural contribution is about one of Indiana's prominent Native sons. Here's Alicia Morgan, news and digital editor at the Tribune Star in Terre Haute. Indiana has been home to many great individuals throughout its history, men and women who stood on their humble Hoosier values to propel themselves into positions of immense influence. One of those is Ernie Pyle, a western Indiana farm boy who grew up near the tiny Vermilion County town of Dana to become one of the most famous and revered war correspondents in American history. Ernie was born on August 3, 1900, to a tenant farm family. An only child, he was educated in local schools, then attended Indiana University Bloomington. He studied journalism at IU and was editor of the campus newspaper before leaving to start his newspaper career in northern Indiana. His career took him to Washington, D.C., and he became a moderately successful editor and writer, later penning a daily column for Scripps Howard newspapers. But fame found Ernie when he decided to become a war correspondent during World War II. Unlike other correspondents, Ernie embedded himself with the real people who fought the war, the soldiers who toiled in the trenches. He told their stories and endeared himself to the generation of Americans who ultimately beat back the forces of Nazism, fascism, and imperialism in Europe and the South Pacific. Ernie's columns during the war were published in more than 300 newspapers across the country. He was honored with a Pulitzer Prize, and a national organization of newspaper columnists anointed one of his columns, The Death of Captain Wasco, as the best newspaper column ever written for an American newspaper. Ernie Pyle died on April 18, 1945, while on assignment in the South Pacific, just a few short months before the war ended. He was struck by a Japanese machine gunner's bullet on Iishima, a small island near Okinawa. He was 44 years old. A museum with the visitor's center and the house in which Ernie was born now honor him in his hometown. A statue in Ernie's memory sits outside the media school at Indiana University. Ernie's home was in Albuquerque, New Mexico when he died, and the Ernie Pyle Legacy Foundation sponsored a National Ernie Pyle Day celebration earlier this month on what would have been his 117th birthday. That was Alicia Morgan of the Tribune Star, CNHI's newspaper in Terre Haute. That wraps up today's Indiana In-Depth podcast, brought to you by CNHI News. Until next time, this is Max Jones. See you soon.